0: to another episode of the making sense of islam podcast a few housekeeping points before we begin every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything i've referenced so people verses hadith etc they're all in the episode notes which you can find at making sense most of the episodes are short form so the notes are few but when you listen to longer form episodes the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid number two I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these catalogued, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So, rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles, which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles, through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study, and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith, and also compatible with our current condition. In this series, And at this point, I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes. I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. Hope everyone is doing well. So I'm going to continue with our conversation around first principles At this point, I think I have maybe a few more. I would say no more than five more than I want to introduce. And then hopefully we can move on to another topic. And today's principle is something that should be a little bit familiar if you've been following the podcast. It is the principle of coexistence. And the reason you should be familiar with it is I discussed this at length in episodes 8, 9, 11, 13, and 15. And those five episodes we're dedicated to looking at the different models of coexistence that we find in the Prophet's uh, Seerah, peace be upon him. So today I'm going to come at this topic from a different point of view. So if you want an in-depth, uh, deep dive into the minutia of these, what I call the four models of coexistence from the Seerah of the Prophet, you can go look at those at those episodes. Today I want to look at coexistence abstractly as a, as a concept it will be uh, there'll be some overlap. It will be related to those five episodes, but it will be more of a, a, a high-level perspective. The first thing is, whenever somebody asks, "What is Islam based on?" Normally, we answer, "Well, it's based on the Quran and the Sunnah and our understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah." And of course, that's the correct answer. That that's what Islam, as a religion, is based on. However, when we say that. In that way, we forget sometimes that the seerah, the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is also part of the sunnah. And people, you might say, okay, well, you're splitting hairs, you know, what's the difference? The seerah is nothing more than the chronological order of the sunnah, or or, or how the Prophet lived his life, peace be upon him. But that's not entirely the case. And the reason is, when we look at the sunnah and the hadith of the Prophet, peace be upon him, And when we answer the question that Islam is based on the Qur'an and the sunnah, what we mean by sunnah is we mean the most rigorously authenticated texts based on the science of hadith that we use to establish correct action. You know, something that we're going to do. Uh, We're going to perform wudu. We're going to perform hajj. We're going to pay zakah. We are going to engage in a business transaction. We are going to get married. We are going to have children, etc. All of those doings what we call orthopraxy, correct action, we use the most authentic of the hadith that we can find to establish as a proof that action so that that action is based on something that's sound, which that makes sense. The seerah is different. The, the point of the seerah is different. The point of the seerah is to demonstrate in time, in context, how the Prophet, peace be upon him, lived his life. It is to look at, in time, how the Prophet, peace be upon him, acted with the revelation that he was receiving, with the people that were around him, with the circumstances that he was in, not knowing necessarily what will happen tomorrow. And because it's more of a history, a biography, a chronology, the hadith that the ulama accept to form the seerah They're a little bit more liberal They don't have to be as authentic They don't have to be as sound Because the point of view The point of the Sira Or or establishing this story This magnificent story Of the life of the Prophet Peace be upon him Is different And the reason I begin by saying that Is that it's important for us, when we want to look at a principle like coexistence, how we live with other people, it's important for us to see how the Prophet, peace be upon him, lived with other people. And that's not necessarily going to come from one con, one text, one hadith, one story, one narration, but it's going to come from periods of the Prophet's life, peace be upon him. And that's what those five episodes that I uh, began referencing previously on the podcast, what those five episodes were dedicated to, to teasing all of that out. So when we say that Islam is based on the Qur'an and Sunnah, let us also remember that that also includes the seerah, the life of the Prophet peace be upon him. And therefore in the modern age, now when we try to make sense of Islam now, we also have to remember always to go back to the seerah, the life, the biography of the Prophet peace be upon him to see how he dealt with the difficult situations. It's not going to be enough that we look at abstract hadith as they are found in the books of Hadith outside of their historical context. We also need to know the historical context. That's very very important. So we see the the various circumstances in which the revelation came to the prophet peace be upon him and he lived, you know, mashallah in a in so many different uh, circumstances, so many different difficulties that he had and the and the early community had and mashallah they overcame those. So we would serve ourselves well if we looked at those and benefited the second thing I want to say, in order for us to understand this principle, this first principle of coexistence, and when I say it's a first principle, it means just that, that this is one of the meta-principles upon which is based Islam, is our ability and capacity to coexist with everyone and anyone around us. That's essentially what we mean by that. The second thing is that when we look at the seerah, when we look at the biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we need to remember that there is no abrogation in the seerah what we call in the science of Sharia, Neskh, abrogation. So if somebody says, for example, if I say, you know, we should do such and such because this is how the Prophet, peace be upon him, did it in Mecca, when he was living in Mecca before he uh, migrated to Medina. Somebody can't come and say, well, no, that's because he was in Mecca and he was you know, weak and the, the Muslims were weak and then he went to Medina and then everything changed. That would be a, a, an idea of abrogation, that what happens at the end of the seerah is the only thing that we're able to take. At the end of the Prophet's life is the only thing that we look at. And that's not the case. Rather, Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ Verily, and the Messenger of God is a perfect example for you. So he's a, he's a perfect example in, in everything that he does whenever he did it, even before he received the divine revelation of the Qur'an. So his entire life is a message for us. His entire life is a guidance for us. We can't limit the guidance of the Prophet. And this issue is really, really a like subconscious problem that we have as a community, is that we oftentimes assume that because something happened in the early part of the Prophet's life, peace be upon him, that means it's not relevant for us. Because what's the only manifestation of the, pro- of the life of the Prophet that's relevant is at the end of his life. But we know... After have, having just discussed it now That that's not the case Because there is no abrogation in that So that's very very important for us To to look at And I talk about this in greater length In the earlier episodes Dealing with the prophetic models of coexistence Now when it comes to coexistence One of the challenges And to coexist You know with, with others And with, with, with different people And different groups It's, it's not easy it's, This takes effort And one of the reasons, I think, that it takes effort is that unfortunately we always assume coexistence as being a reference to the negative, that I coexist with something that I disagree with, or to be more explicit in the language of Islam, I coexist with the haram. And that, of course, is one manifestation of coexistence, but that's certainly not the only manifestation of coexistence. You don't have to coexist with just the negative. If we have two perspectives on something, I like this item, my friend likes the other item, but we can coexist. It's not that one is right and one is wrong. It is not that one is good and one is bad. It is not that one is holy and one is evil. They are simply perspectives, opinions. And as a matter of fact, we probably not probably, but we definitely coexist with our own contradictions within ourselves. Sometimes I want to do this, sometimes I want to do that, but I'm the same person. And we coexist in that regard. So coexistence, not only is it a, a first principle, but it's actually something that is quite natural. That There will be differences, there will be um, nuances, there will be perspectives, opinions, judgments, that we can and should... And must coexist with that. That opinion can be out there, and it doesn't have to affect my opinion or my perspective. And I can respect that. It's not just looking at the haram. Because I think when 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 I say the word coexist vis-a-vis religion or coexist vis-a-vis Islam, I think people assume, oh, we have to coexist with the non-Muslims or we have to coexist with the disbelievers. And that's very you know childish. That's not that's not what I mean by that statement. It's a much deeper thing. Because Muslims, we have to coexist with ourselves first. You know, the differences that we have inside our own faith. Whether it be Sunni-Shia differences, or whether it be, you know, just Muslims of, of different perspectives. You know, sometimes we find people that are, quote-unquote, super strict. Sometimes we find people that are, quote-unquote, very liberal. But we're all Muslims. We're all on the, same, on the same religious team. But yet we have to coexist with that. So that's one thing uh, to think about. The other thing to think about... To understand the power of coexistence and the the fundamental uh, nature of it, vis-a-vis our faith, as a first principle, is that we have to acknowledge, and this is something that we sort of touched on just a second ago, we have to acknowledge that we are all going to have different identities. Within our own selves, we have different identities. We have ethnic identities, we have gender identities, we have age identities, we have uh, sports identities, we have religious identities, we have geographic identities, we have socioeconomic identities, etc. I mean the list goes on and on and on. And if you wanted to you know really get into it and anything can become an, an identity, a marker of yourself that distinguishes yourself from other people and puts you in like-minded with like-minded people or, or people of the same identity. Whether people are part of a club or a professional association or a sports team, etc. Anything and everything can be an identity. And in our own selves, we coexist with these identities. We all have multiple identities. Now, some of our identities are stronger than others. Uh, For some people, the, the premier identity is their ethnic identity. You know, I am an American. I am... A German you know, I am an Egyptian that's that's how if somebody said what are you that's what how they would answer for other people it's the religion Say, I am a Muslim I am a Christian I am a Jew for other people it might be you know their sports team or the, for other people it might be the geography I'm a northerner I'm a southerner I'm from I'm from this coast I'm from that coast uh, I'm a Bedouin I'm a city dweller you find that in the Muslim world or in the Arab world specifically etc cetera, etc cetera. so not all of our identities for ourselves, carry equal strength, equal weight within our own selves, but for whatever reason, we choose that one or two of these identities are foremost, and that's usually how we quote unquote introduce ourselves to the world. That's how we quote unquote interact with the world. If you want to think about it, you know, when you write a CV, you know, that's what you're going to put in your CV. You're going to identify. You know, I'm a program developer you know, programmer. Or I'm a coder. Or I'm a developer. Or I'm a lawyer. Again, you're you're emphasizing one identity over another. But we coexist with these different identities, especially when it comes to the weekend. People that are working, they don't necessarily think about their work identity on the weekends. And they want to, you know, pursue their hobbies, for example. So some people, they like water sports. Some people, they like motorcycles. Some people, they like hiking, nature. And they, they carry that identity on the weekend because that's what they're there to practice. And then when the week starts again, you know, they park that and they... They present themselves to the world with another identity So this is happening all the time, and it's natural So therefore, from that point of view When I meet somebody And in this context, because the you know the theme of this, of this podcast is, is Islam So let us look at things from that lens When I meet somebody that's not of my faith identity That doesn't necessarily, that should not trigger for me That this person is a quote-unquote other or like a non, you know, we say the non-Muslims or other. Because certainly I can find in my basket of identities some identities that I'll share with this other person. And that's really as simple as that sounds, and and I'm trying to use these, you know, basic examples. Some somebody might say they're even, you know, almost elementary examples, but I, I think we learned a lot of good things in our elementary years that that's what's happening when you coexist is that you have to link with the with other people based on something certainly there must be something we're humans you know we're the same species for god's sake i mean we that that, that's that's the closest that means that all of the things i experience physically and emotionally that person also is going to experience physically and emotionally so we both know what it means to be happy, to be sad, we know we both know what it means to be thirsty, to be hungry, we know we both know uh, other types of emotions, and therefore we will be able to relate. So when we come up against other people, people of other faith, if if we're focusing on faith as the identity, but this would also apply to anything else, all of the other types of identities I, I've mentioned, we have to train ourselves. Not to look, again, as I said a while ago, the negative. Not to identify myself in, juxt- in opposition to the other person. But rather, find a way to find where our identities overlap. And of course, there are some different some different markers. One of them might be differences of faith. But that's just one out of many. And you see this a lot of times in... Um, Muslim, or I have seen this in Muslim majority regions that have a substantial non-Muslim, usually Christian minority, but ethnically they're the, they're the same. If you're an outsider and you go, you look at these people and you're like, "Oh my God, these are just Syrians." Okay, some of them are Muslim and some of them are Christian, but they're really, really Syrian. Or if you come to Egypt, the country of my my family. And you, you see, you're in a room with, with Muslims and Copts You know, they're very Egyptian Yes, there's religious differences And those religious differences There are issues that need to be addressed without doubt And in a case when there's a minority population It's always the responsibility of the majority To look after the minority Or, or to ensure that it's, it's not infringing On the minority's rights, etc But if you're an outsider And you come and see that You'd be like, these people are so similar It's funny and that's what I'm saying, is that when we meet people, we need to start to think like that. We need to understand that we have many different identities. I'm not going to pick the one identity that's in juxtaposition or in opposition to the person in front of me. Even if I disagree with with, with the issue at hand, we must train ourselves to withhold that and look at what is clear. And this one of the greatest summaries of this is the famous statement of Imam Ali, alayhi salam, when he was the khalifa and he sent... Uh, one of his deputies to be the governor of Egypt. Unfortunately, he never uh, arrived. Uh, he, he died on the way. But in the famous letter that Imam Ali wrote to him, he said, "When you go to Egypt, you will find. And this applies to any region, but I'm just giving a historical context. He says you'll find the people will be of two kinds: either there will be your co-religionist, meaning you'll find Muslims there, or there'll be your 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 brother/slash sister in humanity. In other words." You're going to find a compatibility, a point of coexistence no matter what. Now, if I'm Muslim and that's the predominant identity for me, yeah, if I meet another Muslim, it might be quote-unquote easier to talk about certain things, but, it, but but certainly not about all things. Now, I've met Muslims who, who Islam is their predominant um, identity, and I felt very different than them even though we're all practicing and we're praying and we're fasting and we're this and we're that, but there are so many differences. There are ethnic differences. There are geopolitical differences. There are, you know, just a whole host of, and I don't feel necessarily 100% comfortable with them, but they are my co-religionists, you know, my brother and sister in faith, but I might feel more comfortable with the people I grew up with, that I went to school with, that are really close to me, that are not Muslim, because we have a lot of other things that are compatible and in common. So the point is to look for those points of compatibility, to look at those identities that we have that match the other, to not define coexistence with the negative, and just reviewing what we've said, to always go back and look about how the Prophet, peace be upon him, actually did this with a whole array of people even people that hated him and tried to hurt him and harm him and that's what those five previous episodes will give you a flavor in detail i hope this is helpful and i will talk to you all soon